Alright, hello everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host. Before we get going, as usual, I'd like to thank you so very, very much for listening. Whatever your platform of choice happens to be, if you could interact with the show, that helps a lot. I don't like saying this every time, because I, you don't like listening to it, I know it, but I, eh. it's said because it works. So anything you can do to interact, and if you've done everything that you could normally do, share the show, uh, either in person or on a social media platform, however that happens to work for you. All right, on the agenda this evening, last night, UFC on ESPN 38. I would argue it overperformed relative to how strong it was on paper. Uh, so we'll have a full review of that, and a preview this coming Saturday, UFC 276. Uh, two title fights... Uh, yeah, we'll have a full preview of that card as well. Not a lot of news that I was able to... I mean, there's drama, but I'm not a big fan of talking drama here. So I, I'm going to kind of leave that aside. So I think we're just going to be... We're going to be light on the news this week, so... Anyway, that's what's on the agenda. Let's jump into it. No point in putting it off any longer. Last night, UFC on ESPN 38. Main event... This was a darn good fight. This was your fight of the night. Deservedly so. Uh, Mateos Gamrot defeated Armin Saryukian via unanimous decision. 48-47 across the boards. All three judges agreed on all five rounds. Saryukian taking rounds one and two. Gamrot rounds three, four, and five. Little bit of controversy around this. Um, I think it was the fourth round in particular... Doing this live, I gave 1 and 2 to Soyukian, 3 and 4 to Gambrot, and I think I gave Soyukian the 5th. I'm not as sold on that, having thought back about it. Uh, I, but the 4th, in particular, I think is kind of a bit of a sticky widget. Uh, under the new scoring criteria, which they were in Nevada for this, they were at the Apex... There's a very real argument that Saryukian should have won the fourth. In fact, he dropped uh, Gamrot with a spinning back fist briefly. Now, this goes to a little bit of the theatricality of what happens in the cage. The way Saryukian hit Gamrot and the way Gamrot kind of fell, he also like fell into a takedown attempt. So it, I don't think that looked as bad as it was if you're just looking in real time and you don't get to rewatch anything. In fact, if you didn't register that it was a knockdown... Uh, it's entirely understandable that you might have made that mistake. That's just kind of the way it happened very quickly and the way they fell. So I, it's not that Gamrot winning is indefensible. Not at all. Uh, it's a very... I think 3-2 to two for either guy is a perfectly valid scorecard. Uh, I think the first two going to Saryukian is... Univer it is universal. I think it's universal everywhere I've seen. Three seems to be a little bit more back and forth, I but I think most gave it to Gamrot. Four is real tricky, and then five probably should have gone to Gamrot. So again, I'm, I'll eat the being wrong in real time on that one. Uh, but this was a great fight. Uh, the wrestling on display from these two guys was top-notch. Just very, very high level. Neither of them conceded a position. Neither of them ever really got to work. Uh, anytime they would start wrestling, 
Uh, again, for those of you who may not, who may only think of wrestling in the MMA context, which is a takedown, wrestling is everything that happens until someone concedes a position. Now, for the sake of ease of discussion, we tend to draw a distinction between takedowns, takedown offense and takedown defense, and scrambles, and not just lump it all together into wrestling. In reality, it is all wrestling. So when I say the wrestling here was very, very high, that's what I mean. Some great scrambles, some great uh, attacks. I think the five round, I said this in the preview, over three rounds I would have favored Saryukian and he would have won. Uh, all three judges would have gone 29-28 for Saryukian. Uh, I think every, and everyone would have agreed with that. But the first time you fight five rounds, and I mentioned this, it's not that it's impossible to win your first five-round fight. Plenty of back before, back when you only had five rounds for title fights, there's a lot of people whose first five-round fight was for the title, and that was it. Like everything else before that was three-rounders. And people won titles. People won decisions the first time they went five rounds. So it's not impossible, but it is different. Now, to Saryukian's credit, he didn't fade badly. These two fought at a high pace throughout the entire fight. Uh, Soyukian's team clearly got him where he needed to be in a lot of respects. But there is always a difference between preparation and reality. That's that's just how it is. You try to make your prep as close to the real thing as possible. But there is always a bit of a gap there. And this is, again, this is somewhat known. How small you can make the gap, how much you know is relative to your opponent and everything. Like, there's a lot of other variables. But Gamrot's fought five rounds before. So him having five-round experience versus Saryuki and not, that was, it's kind of why I hedged towards Gamrot in a five-round fight. And largely that played out. Now, uh, Saryuki and had some wicked kicks. His punches were a little bit not where they needed to be, I thought. Um... He was swinging a little bit wide. He was falling short. Both guys fell short a lot, but Gamrot seemed to get a better read on how to land his punches faster than Saryukian did. But anytime uh, Gamrot would switch stance into open stance, uh, Saryukian would just kill him with a body kick. Uh, really nice. He, he kicked hard, man. You could see some of those body kicks really were getting to Gamrot at different points of the fight. But Saryukian did slow down a bit, and he stopped... He stopped having, I think, the, the he stopped being able to get ahead of the speed chess that Gamrot was playing. So he would give up bits of position. And he'd give up uh, you know, spots where Gamrot could land on him. And as I mentioned, Gamrot seemed to get a better read on the punching distance before uh, faster. So this was a great fight. I, again, get, um, I mean, Shayukian's young. He's 20-something. 25? Yeah, he's 25. Uh, he's got... He's got a lot of time left. He got a lot of time. So, this will be a good learning experience for him, or it should be. Uh, I expect him to come back better next time, and it... Again, if you think he won this fight, that's... That's not unreasonable. Uh, solid win for Gamrot. And, you know, both of these guys lost their UFC debuts. Um, Soyukian stepped in on short notice to fight Islam Makashev, and he wrestled with Makashev for three rounds. He lost, but he was competitive. 
Then had that nice long winning streak before running into this fight. Gamrot lost a split decision in his debut to the double-tough Guram Kuta Deladze. Now he's on a nice winning streak after the fight. Gamrot said he wanted to fight Justin Gagey. Uh, there's not a lot of people that call out Justin Gagey, so respect. Uh, and it's a fight that makes sense, potentially. I don't know what Gagey's going to do next, but I'm not going to complain about that fight. I mean, I never complain about a Justin Gagey fight, you know. Kind of a maniac you have to be to complain about a Gagey fight. but So, good win for Gamrot. Uh, really good fight. Uh, my hat's off to both of these guys. We'll probably see these two fight again in the future. Like, this was a very competitive fight. Both guys are still on the come up in the lightweight division. And just, uh, for the record. To the Mooks, uh, turning in the rankings for the UFC at lightweight. Why in the world is Conor McGregor ranked? I mean, don't get me wrong, I know why. But you don't have a legitimate reason. You do not have a legitimate reason to keep that guy ranked at lightweight at this time. You have these two guys sitting outside the top ten, which is ridiculous. I think both of them are top ten fighters. And you've got someone like Demir Ismagulov who is still unranked. Uh, but hey, we're preserving a top ten spot for Conor. Just, that's no. That's just so much no. Uh, great fight. Co-main event. I was looking forward to this one, I think, the most. And boy, howdy. Shavkat Rachmanov defeats Neil Magny via guillotine choke submission, 458 of the second round. I ex Magny was a legitimate step up in competition for Rachmanov. You look at who he fought and beat before this point. No one near as good as Neil Magny. Um, I've, I did the gimmick for a while of being the president of the Neil Magny fan club. Called him future UFC welterweight champion, etc., etc. I lost a bet. So it was a fun thing I did for a while. Back when I had a sense of humor. Uh, but at this point, I think we've seen Magny's ceiling. And I don't mean that unkindly. Because he is a top welterweight. He is one of the best welterweights in the world. He is easily... A top 15 welterweight. He was number 10 coming into this, deservedly so. He's a tough guy to beat. Uh, people who have beaten him have had to... You know, some guys have. Some guys were kind of able to catch him at different points in his career. Um, but the last loss he had like this, that was this one-sided, I would probably be the RDA loss, right? Because the Chiesa fight was... Competitive. Uh, the Ponzinibbio fight was pretty competitive. Yeah, you have to go back to, like, his fight with Rafael Dos Anjos or Lorenz Larkin to find him getting beaten this quickly. Uh, not just quickly, but, like, thoroughly. I don't mean to say that he had nothing for Rachmanov at all, but he threw a kick fairly early that Rachmanov caught and tripped him down. And Rachmanov has a great ability to to base up over you and just deliver punishment. Uh, he Rachmanov worked very well out of half guard. He had good control. He was good about keeping damage going. Uh, won the first round pretty easily. Second round, uh, more of the same. And in the second round, there was a bit of a scramble, and Magny wound up in half guard, but on a hip, kind of looking for sweeps or to stand up. Every time he'd kind of sit up, and which is what you're supposed to do in that position, every time he'd kind of start going that way, you know, shrimping, uh, Rachmanov would threaten his neck. 
he kept, he like had sort of Darce threats a few different times. Nothing really close, but like the the hand position was kind of in that area. And then right at the end, he just felt something about that guillotine choke. And he, I mean, he was on short time anyway, so even if he doesn't get it, there's no real risk. He's already won the round. Uh, pretty convincingly, too. But he he felt it, man, and he, he went for it, and he got Magni. That's the first time Magni's been submitted since the arm triangle to Rafael dos Anjos. It was 2017. Uh, this was a big win for Rachmanov, who is undefeated. I believe he's 16-0 and 0 now. Uh, just took a significant step up in class and did to, he did to Magni what he's done to everybody else. Uh, after the fight, he said he wanted to fight Stephen Thompson. Uh, Thompson, I believe, is still ranked in the top ten. Let me double check that actually. I believe, but I am not sure. I want to be sure because um, Rachmanov was 15 coming into this. Magni was 10. Uh, yeah, Thompson is currently seven. So the fight makes sense from a rankings perspective. He's still looking above him. I would favor Rachmanov uh, very... I mean, easily is a bit dismissive of Stephen Thompson, who I have a lot of respect for. But if you're just asking me who I favor to win, yeah, I mean, Rachmanov is moving up, and I think Thompson is more on the downside. Uh Great win for uh, for Rachmanov. Delivered in a... Uh, the entire fight was impressive. The fact that he got a finish doubly so. The fact that he did it against a very tough veteran who's... Neil Magny has turned back a lot of top-tier guys. You know, this was a very impressive win for Rachmanov. Pay attention to that guy. He's going to be a serious player in this division. If he's not already, he will be shortly, so... Good on him. A really good performance. Heavyweights. A Parisian beat up a Frenchman. <laughs> oh, that's a bad joke, and I feel bad about it. Uh, Josh Parisian defeated Alan Badovi, a TKO. Just punches from the ground, more or less. A 304 of the second. Not a lot here. Round one goes to Badeau, who did a little bit better on the feet, got takedowns, worked for the top position for the majority of that round. Parisian got a takedown late in the second and kind of felt something down there. So second round, he quickly gets a takedown and just is able to pound out Badeau from top position. Mid-level heavyweights. Uh, lightweights. This was pretty good, actually. Tiago Moises defeated Christos Yagos via rear naked choke, 305 of the first. Interesting finish here. Um, Moises had a rear naked choke, but he did not have the hands in the normal position. Um... Normally, when you do a rear naked choke, ideally you get kind of the uh, figure, they call it the figure four grip, right? So if you have your right arm around the neck choking them, your left, your right hand grabs your left bicep, and then your left hand scissors behind, uh, gets behind their head. And you make kind of the four with your arms. That's the ideal version. You can do it palm to palm with either a gable grip or an S grip, where you have your choking hand, and then instead of you know, grabbing around the bicep and wrapping, you either you know, you do the gable grip or you do an S-grip. And you can get enough leverage to finish chokes that way as well. Uh, did not have either of those. He had the he had the choking arm around. So you had kind of the one-arm position because he was grabbing... You do that with the guy, though. You, like, grab their deltoid. 
the guy you're choking, you like grab his uh, deltoid or his trap. And instead of hand fighting to get the full uh, normal choke grip in, he wrapped his left arm more around the choking arm and put his palm kind of on his own elbow and then used that force to kind of tighten things up and get the tap. There was someone a few weeks ago who hit this same choke. Uh, I forget who it was, so I apologize, and I'm not going to go through the last, like, um, four or so events to try and remember who it was. But somebody hit essentially the same choke and talked about it. Uh, it's a choke that I, I think it is coming out of ATT. So would it be, um, I, I believe that's Pahompa, who is their jiu-jitsu coach over there. I think he's found a slight variation about how to finish this with a different hand, with a different arm position. Uh because if you get that other arm over there, you're just trying to compress the space. So as long as your right hand has a good grip on their body, you don't need necessarily to be able to, lev to lever it the same way. If you can get that palm over there on your elbow, you can push back with it, which is what you do when you really finish the choke. You don't squeeze your arms together. In fact, that's a very inefficient way to uh, choke someone with the rear naked choke. What you want to do is when you get there, you whatever arm you're choking with, you pull your shoulder back. That that closes the space that the neck occupies much better and much quicker than trying to squeeze, essentially do a bicep curl around the neck. So if you can reach your left arm over there to your elbow and kind of push back with it, you can still get a little bit of extra leverage there as you finish the choke. Uh, again, I forget who the other guy was who caught that, essentially this same variation. But it might be something more guys in MMA should be paying attention to because it changes some of the hand fighting and some of where you think you're safe. You are not safe where you used to be safe anymore, necessarily, if someone has all the details down for finishing this choke. I, mean, I don't have all the details. I'm kind of observing from the outside. But it's a nice little variation. Good win for Moises. Uh, bantamweight. Umar Nurmagomedov defeated Nate Maness for unanimous decision. 30-27, 30-26, and 30-25. I was 30-25. I gave Nurmagomedov a 10-9 first, rather, and then 10-8 in round two, rounds two and three. Total domination by Nurmagomedov. Uh, better striker, very good defensively, better wrestler, smothering top control, passed almost at will, got good damage off. Uh, get that man a step up in competition. Uh, Bantamweight is stacked. But Umar Nurmagomedov is definitely someone you should be aware of. That guy is good. And kicking off the main card at middleweight, Chris Curtis defeats Adolfo Vieja via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. Uh, first round for Vieira. He didn't. He wasn't able to get any takedowns, but he was able to, with the threat of them, render Curtis so defensive that Curtis lost the round. Rounds two and three go to Curtis. Uh, Curtis stuffed, I believe, every takedown Vieja threw at him all fight. He was able to get out of the clinch whenever he needed to. Vihai did pull uh, half guard a couple of times, but Curtis was able to disengage. Nice. Curtis is very good about countering to the body. Whenever you kind of start throwing punches, he's good about going downstairs instead of upstairs every time. And he's got some nice body punches. They clearly kind of sucked the wind out of Vieja a little bit. Uh, solid win for Curtis, who is a bit unheralded at middleweight, but he is pretty darn good. I mean, he's now 3-0 in the UFC. Uh, he's on a long winning streak, actually. His last losses came in 2019 when he was part of the PFL. 
his last three losses, in fact, all occurred under that promotion, losing to twice to Magomed uh, Magomed Karamov, and then once to Ray Cooper the third. Uh, since then, he's been on kind of a roll. He's only gone the distance twice, once in the fight that got him into the UFC, essentially, and then this one here. He stopped everybody else. Uh, Chris Curtis is very good. Uh, so be aware of Chris Curtis. He's someone, again, someone you should be aware of. So that was the pre, that was the main card, rather. Sorry. As for the prelims, uh, Carlos Ulberg defeated Tafan Chukwi via TKO punches, 115 of the first. Uh, caught Chukwi kind of expecting a jab. So Chukwi kind of went to parry it with his right hand. And instead of a jab, it was more of a left hook from Ulberg. Caught him just unaware. Good, good positioning of the punch on the jaw. Wobbled him, never let him off the hook. Uh, solid enough performance out of Olberg. Olberg's very green to be in the UFC. He's only he's got less than ten fights, and that's that's always a dicey proposition. It's not as tough as it used to be to be in that spot, but it's still not. I the UFC is not really the spot you want to learn on the job. It's not impossible to do so, but coming in as early in your career as he is, and other people have done it before, but it's it, it's a bit of a rough ask. So. He seems to be kind of figuring himself out, so good for him. Featherweight, uh, Shylon Nerdon Beke defeated TJ Brown via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. Uh, decent enough little fight. Bantamweight, uh, Sergey Morozov defeated Harley and Paiva via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards as well. That was a fun little fight. Uh, Paiva had a good first round, but Morozov just kind of kept plugging away and uh, Paiva slowed down enough as the fight wore on for pretty much everything Morozov does to start really taking effect. So, good on Morozov. He's still got a lot of upside, but he needs a lot of refinement. I mean, he came to the UFC uh, about the time you want to, but it feels a little bit like there's a lot of stuff he kind of got away with on other at a different level of opposition. I mean... That sounds dismissive because his last run, his last promotional run before he got to the UFC was with M1, and M1's a very legitimate promotion. But if you look at some, I mean, some of the guys he fought are very good, and he beat some of them who are again, very good fighters. He also lost some of those fights to some of the better guys. And it just feels like he's he kind of came to the UFC and expected everything he was doing before to continue working the same way it had been working and that's just not quite the case now he could that's a that is an adjustment that can be made and he's with a good team i think he's with ATT as well right uh i think that's where he trains but don't quote me on that i'm actually not sure uh, but those are the point is those are adjustments that can be made, but you do have to be aware of them and you have to be willing to make them. Uh, Cody Durden defeated JP Bays via TKO punches 108 of the first. Bays is kind of a bust at this point. Uh, pretty good win for Durden. Durden's a pretty solid flyweight. Uh, he seems to be finding his footing, so good for him. Bantamweight Mario Bautista defeated Brian Kelleher via rear naked choke 227 of the first. Nice win and nice performance overall from Bautista here. Uh, he looked really good. It was a really nice finish, too. And kicking everything off, Vanessa Demopoulos defeated Jin Yu Frey via split decision. I had some technical issues during this fight. I, I missed the entire second round. 
so my apologies for that. I have no, consequently, I have no opinion on the decision. Uh, if I miss a whole round, I don't really get to say anything. So, wasn't a great fight from what I did see, so. I got rounds one and three. <laughs> Not a great fight. Uh, yeah, that was it. Um, let's see. As for your post-fight bonuses, again, fight of the night was Gamrot and Saryukian. Performances went to Shavkat Rachmanov, Josh Parisian, and Tiago Moises, because the UFC absolutely can't afford to pay these things out to more than three people a card. They just choose not to because they are under mandates from their overlords. And fighters won't do anything about it. And that's kind of the long and the short of it. <laughs> not going to go too deep into the fighter... Uh, I'm not going to go deep onto the fighter pay thing. I'm just, again, I'm just going to say it. The fact that the UFC does this, they don't do this every time, but they do it with enough, they do it frequently enough that it should be apparent that there's not some giant financial barrier in place here. Yeah. All right. So if you want my full report for that, it is in the MMA the, of that event, including round-by-round round scoring and clips of finishes. It is in the MMA zone of 411mania.com. Please go give that a read if you are so inclined. Uh, other things, very briefly, from around the world of mixed martial arts, because this uh, kind of amuses me. Over in the world of Bellator, uh, if I might steal a Jack Slackism, noted regional champion kick. <laughs> that just makes me laugh. Uh, Gegard Musasi, who was the Bellator middleweight champion, lost to, oh, Eblen, I forget his first name, I have to look it up, let's say Josh, Jarrett. something with a J, uh, I'll certainly something with a J, Johnny, Johnny Eblen, defeated him via unanimous decision, 50-45 across the boards, totally blanked him out. Uh, dropped him, I think, in the first round. There was at least one knockdown in that fight. Um, yeah, just, it amuses me. But, you know, good, seriously, good for him. Uh, jokes about Musasi's position and whatnot aside, he's not an easy guy to beat. And you know, beating him does say something about you. So uh, there was that. PFL had uh, Stevie Ray catch Anthony Pettis with this really weird body triangle submission from the bottom. So Pettis is on top in full guard. Uh, Ray goes to a body triangle and is able to kind of turn it into a modified twister almost. He's not on the back. He's still in front. But he kind of gets off at a slight angle, so he's applying uh, torque to the spine. He gets around an arm and kind of leverages the head down with an elbow. Uh so I don't know if this was back or ribs or whatnot, but something on Pettis. Anthony Pettis is not someone who just gives up. Um, you know, this was, uh, again, a little bit similar to what Poirier beat uh, Pettis with, that body triangle transition from back to mount. Just, it puts an absurd amount of compression and torque on your ribs and spine. It is really nasty. So if you if you know what you're doing with that position, you can absolutely mess somebody up. And if... Uh, so... A uh, little bit of an, uh, not a submission you see a whole lot of, but a good win for Stevie Ray. I mean, Pettis is already in the, by virtue of finishing his first opponent in the first round, uh, Pettis had like automatically qualified for uh, the season or what have you, you know, the uh, the 
because that's that's how they do it there. They have the seasonal thing. So the playoffs or whatever they call them. I think they call them playoffs. Uh, I forget, but you know, PFL has some really good fights. Uh, their formatting and whatnot is just a little bit awkward at times. Uh, so anyway, that was kind of fun. Uh, is there anything else? I think that was kind of it for other stuff from the MMA slash wider combat sports world. I mean, I mean, they announced that we're getting Jake Paul and Tommy Fury in the boxing world. I still actually do favor Jake Paul in that fight, so uh, we'll see what happens when that fight comes around, though. All right. Uh, yeah, that's enough for that. Let us move on. UFC 276 coming your way this Saturday from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Your main event is... Where did they move that fight? Oh, that's where that fight is. Sorry. Looking at something else. Your main event, Israel Adesanya, Jared Cannonier for Adesanya's middleweight title. This is Adesanya's... He's creeping up there in terms of middleweight title defense. I think he's at six, right? Yeah, many. Hang on. Uh, this would be five. Because he won the undisputed title from Whitaker. Then he defended against Romero, defended against Costa, defended against Vittorian, defended against Whitaker again. So he's got four title defenses. He's going for number five. Uh, I mean, he's, he's never lost at middleweight. Cannoneer's is... Cannoneer has potential here because Jared Cannoneer hits hard. Jared Cannoneer is a very well-rounded fighter. Uh, he's gone the distance before successfully. He beat Kelvin Gastelum via unanimous decision. Uh, he's a he's kind of a rough-and-tumble guy most of the time. And if he's able to connect, he, will, he could threaten Adesanya in that particular respect. That said, Adesanya is in a... He's not unbeatable. I mean, Jan Blahovic showed that. This, his rematch with Whitaker, uh, the second fight between Whitaker and Adesanya, is a close fight. I thought Adesanya won, but I, the way they matched up in that fight in particular, there's certainly an argument for Whitaker. I don't pretend otherwise. So, not unbeatable, but I need a fairly compelling reason if I'm going to pick against him. I think Cannoneer is going to wind up walking into a bit too much. I think while Cannoneer has power, he Adesanya does he's not Adesanya is not some defensive savant, but he is he's not easy to hit and he's certainly not easy to hurt. You know, the only time I've seen Adesanya actually hurt in MMA, uh, the fourth round against Kelvin Gastelum when Gastelum hit him with that head kick, that that was the that's the only time I've really seen him kind of hurt. I mean. He, when he and Blahovich fought, Blahovich was able to... You know, they they both hit each other quite a bit, actually, in that fight. But he was never really kind of troubled by the power. He's got a good chin. So, I I just need a... I need a more compelling reason to pick against Adesanya than Cannoneer provides. But Cannoneer is not some chump. So, I expect a good fight. Uh, I, I like Adesanya to retain... Whether he gets a stoppage or not is probably going to depend on what Cannoneer does in the face of adversity here. When things start going badly for him, I, I don't know exactly what he's going to do in response. If he goes into kind of zombie mode 
and just comes forward, you know, looking to really kind of get after the fight, he's going to get finished. I think that just makes, that just plays too much into what Adesanya does. But it's a good fight. It's a good middleweight fight. Uh, very curious to see how it goes. But yeah, I, I favor Adesanya. Co-main event. For the third time at featherweight, for the featherweight title, Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway. I've said this before about featherweight, and I think it's still true. The gap between the rest of that division and these two guys feels enormous. I don't think it's as big as it feels, having kind of rethought rethought about the division and whatnot, but these are the two best guys in this division. By a, again, by a wide margin. I'm not saying no one other than these two can... Like, it's, I'm not saying Volkanovski's the only guy at featherweight who can beat Max Holloway. He's the only guy at featherweight I will favor to beat Max Holloway, but... With good reason, actually. But is it enti- is it conceivable that, you know, if we get a rematch between Rodriguez and Holloway, that this time Rodriguez might find a few more things to make that work? Yeah. Might Emmett be able to do something against Holloway? Yeah, again, I don't I don't expect him to. Would not pick him to do so. But it would not shock me if he were able to. And ditto Volkanovsky. I'm not saying that, you know, there's no one who's capable of beating the guy. Not at all. But we're talking about you know, who do I favor by and by how much? I favor Volk. I favor both of these two over the rest of that division. And in, and after you get outside of like the immediate, I mean, God, you don't even have to get that far down further in the ranks. I mean, Holloway and Rodriguez run up being more competitive than I thought it would be, but ultimately there wasn't a whole lot of controversy around that. Holloway won. Uh, Holloway beat the crap out of Cater. Volkanovski just, he walloped the Korean zombie. He put a serious beating on Brian Ortega. Like, these two guys are the class of featherweight. And they deserve to be that. So they've kind of got back to this point where we're stuck fighting a third time, even though Volkanovski is 2-0 against Holloway. I have no idea what this fight is going to look like. I had kind of an idea in their first fight. I still favored Max in that fight, but I had an idea about what that fight would look like, and it looked similar to how I expected. Not exactly. Again, Volkanovski won that fight, won it clean. Uh, In fact, there's no... The first fight is competitive, but it's not a very close fight, if you can appreciate the distinction there. Second fight was very close. Second fight was uber close. Um, but Volkanovski has found ways to kind of diffuse Max Holloway uh, that no one else has. And Holloway's been the only guy who's really kind of put Volkanovski in dangerous positions. Uh, I mean, I think Volkanovski technically lost the first round of his fight with Chad Mendez, but that was a competitive round. And Volkanovski then, of course, stopped him in the second. Uh, and no one else is really... I mean, there were those grappling attacks from Ortega that were kind of like Hail Mary submission attempts, and those were... I give credit to those. You know, those were not easy positions. But Max has been able to do it in a, in a more uh, consistent fashion than necessarily other guys have. So, I have no idea. I mean, the fact that Max Holloway changed his style so radically from their first fight to their second fight... 
says a lot about how much these two can change. I think if this fight goes similar to their first two fights, Volkanovski's going to win again. Volkanovski's timing is impeccable. His ability to make reads is very good. I think Volkanovski probably has a bit more firepower. Now, Max has a great chin, so it doesn't manifest itself necessarily the same way, but I think it's a component. Uh, Max is not a heavy hitter. He... I mean, he will get you out of there, but it's more with volume and precision than with just raw power. So, so I, again, I think if we're just, you know, who hits harder. I think Volkanovski hits harder. Holloway's takedown defense at featherweight is so good. But Volkanovski has been good about using uh, the threat of the takedown and some clinch work to kind of mix up what he does when he fights Holloway. And that, that timing is kind of the real thing for Volkanovski, though, because he's he's got long arms for his frame. And he's good about attacking when you don't expect it, about attacking on the half beat. He keeps a good, like, he keeps a pretty insane pace, believe it or not, does Volkanovski. And if you let him pressure you, uh, he is very good on the front foot in those respects. I'm not going to be surprised if Max wins. Just straight up. Will not be surprised. There's not even a way that Max could win that would surprise me. Okay. Correction. If there's a disqualification, I would be surprised. But anything else, either of these guys could submit the other, either of them could get a TKO over the other, a decision could go either way, an injury could happen to either guy. Like, none of that would surprise me one bit. If we get a real freak injury, I'd be surprised, but, you know, they're freak injuries for a reason. Everyone's by nature surprised by them. But if I have to pick here again, I, I lean Volkanovski once again. I... That said, again, I don't know what this is going to look like. I think Max probably understands, he and his team, that they can't do what they did in the first two fights. I've... I've heard some people posit this one, and I've started to come around on the possibility. I think this one might be ugly. By which I don't mean, like, unenjoyable, but their first two fights are very clean. They're very technical, and they're very they're very lovely. I love those fights. I really do. I think Holloway might try to make this more of a dogfight. I don't know if that'll work for him. Both these guys have the dog in them. Right? That This isn't a case of, you know being able to get a technically superior fighter out of his element by making it more of an ugly kind of brawl and he can't meet you on those terms. Both of these guys can fight that way. They choose not to most of the time. But they, they can both meet on those terms. So I don't know. I think that's the last kind of thing that uh, Holloway can try here, though. I think if they go just straight technique for technique, he's going to wind up on the wrong end of things again. Unless he's found something else. Like, he and his team are really... Like, both of these teams are very good. Both of these fighters are very good. Neither Max nor Volkanovski make a lot of mistakes. Uh, I think Volkanovski makes minute-to-minute adjustments a little bit better than Max. That might be a function of how they match up more than Max not adjusting, just to be clear. But I think the last thing Max can try and do here is try to make this a brawl. Just try to try to bring the dog out of Volkanovski and let's just get after it. Will that work for him? I genuinely don't know. Like I said, Volkanovski has that dog in him. We've seen it. 
though that might not go Max's way either, but I don't think I don't think he can try to do what he did the even in their second fight. I don't think you can just try to repeat that and hope the judges go your way this time. I don't think that's a winning formula. But yeah, I favor Volkanovski. Very much looking forward to this fight. Uh, should be a great fight. Middleweight, I think this is here in case something happens to either of the uh, participants in the main event. But we have Sean Strickland and Alex Pereja. Uh, Pereja has gained a little bit of notoriety uh, because he's beaten Adesanya twice in kickboxing. Knocked him out in their second fight. He was losing that fight badly, by the way. But he did score the knockout. Uh, he's 3-0 and in the UFC. 2-0 and or 3-0? 2-0, sorry, not 3-0. He is 2-0 and in the UFC. Uh, if he gets a win here, he might get a title shot just because the UFC could kind of sell the narrative. But he's facing Sean Strickland, who has been enjoying a really nice run. Uh, he moved back up to middleweight in 2020, and he's looked really good since then. Uh, beating Jack Marshman, Brendan Allen, Christoph Yatko, Uriah Hall, beat Hall over five rounds, beat Jack Hermanson over five rounds. I don't know how that Hermanson fight was split, by the way. Like, I, I genuinely do not know uh, how you score that fight for Jack Hermanson. It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> but he's not, he's on a good winning streak, and if he wins, he might get a title shot here. Uh... Strickland is more of a striker these days. And I don't think that'll play to his... I don't think that serves him well against Pereja. Unless unless Pereja's defense is still really kind of built around uh, patterns and reactions that have bigger kind of kickboxing gloves rather than the MMA gloves. Uh, I, don't know that the, I don't know that striking with Pereja, given all of his... Not only kickboxing credentials, but his documented success to this point in mixed martial arts is really a recipe for success. So I said so I'm not quite sure. I need uh, need a reason. If Strickland is willing to make this more of an MMA fight, he can win. He should win. Like if he's willing to go out there and use striking to set up his clinch work, get takedowns, make this more of a more of a mixed martial arts affair than just a kickboxing affair, that's his path to victory, and I think it's one he could take. The more this stays on the feet, the more I favor Pereja, though. So I'm gonna lean towards Pereja here, but it's almost a little bit counterintuitive in some respects. Uh, yeah, that's where we are there. Uh, kicking off the main card at the moment, we lost a fight for this one. We were supposed to have Lauren Murphy and Misha Tate. That fight fell out. I don't think anything of real value is lost there. Just not interested in that fight. So we might get another fight bumped to the main card because at the moment it's only four fights. But kicking off the main card, uh, bantamweight Pedro Munoz and Sean O'Malley. O'Malley finally taking another step up in competition. The last time he did this, Cheeto Vera beat the crap out of him. Since then, he's beating Tomas Almeida, Chris Moutinho, and then Harley and Paiva. Uh, Munoz, Munoz a dog, man. He's one and four in his last five, but there's a little bit that goes into that. Um, first of all, his loss, these losses are to Aljamain Sterling, Frankie Edgar, Jose, uh, Jose Aldo, and Dominic Cruz. 
Like, he's fighting the best. Second, he should have won that Edgar fight. It was a split decision loss in 2020. I've rewatched that a couple of times. I've always scored that for Munoz. Uh... Yeah, he should have won that fight. The, the losses to Aldo and Cruz were legitimate, but that Edgar that Edgar fight should have been his. Uh, I can see this one going either way. Munoz, uh, Munoz is not a big... He's not tall. And O'Malley's a very lanky bantamweight. O'Malley is also pretty darn good at finding openings for his punches. But Munoz tends to make fights rough, and I'm not sure how O'Malley's going to respond to that. Uh, Munoz has very heavy leg kicks. Uh, I don't know that that's as big a deal as we all kind of joked about after the loss to Vera, but that's still a factor. Munoz is a bit slow. He's not the fastest bantamweight, and O'Malley can might be able to kind of punish him for that. This is this is a fairly close fight on paper. I'm gonna lean towards Munoz, and just I'm prepared to feel very very foolish. Uh, in the aftermath of this. It's, but I, I'm going to lean towards Munoz. I, I don't know that O'Malley has proven he can hang with this level of opposition. Now, he might be able to, and it wouldn't surprise me if he can. But I, I am going to pick Munoz here. So that's the main card. Solid main card. There's not really a weak fight there. As for the prelims, good fight here. Uh, oh, this kind of came out. Uh, this will be somewhat news, I guess. Uh... The prelims are going to be broadcast on ESPN and ABC, as well as ESPN+. Plus. Uh, ESPN+, Plus has apparently not been selling, kind of the, been, not been moving as much as uh, Disney wants it to. So they're kind of trying to give it a little bit more of a boost by kind of by giving them some visibility on ABC, which, good for the guys getting more exposure. They're not getting any pay bump because they're on ABC, of course, because why would they? But... Hopefully they can kind of do something with that, uh, with that platform maybe a little bit. Uh, but yeah, uh, so for a few of these now, they're going to be on ABC as well to kind of boost some visibility. Anyway, as for the prelims, not the early prelims, but these four. Um, Brad Riddell versus Jalen Turner is a really good fight. It's a really good fight. Uh, I'm going to favor Brad Riddell there, but Jalen Turner is a long, lightweight, and he's a very sneaky fighter, so... I mean, Brad Riddell's a very good kickboxer. I think, I mean, he was the striking coach, I think, for a bit at City Kickboxing. I know, he, or he was, um, I know he's like Volkanovski's striking coach as well. That's kind of where Volkanovski got hooked up with uh, the City Kickboxing guys, because Volkanovski normally and still nominally trains out of a gym in Australia. I forget the gym. But Riddell was his kind of kickboxing coach, and that's kind that's how that kind of connection built. Uh so I, I'm going to pick Riddell here because I think Turner is going to try to strike too much with the better uh, kickboxer. And Riddell, Riddell knows how to fight longer guys. But that's a good fight. All of these fights are good, actually. Um, welterweight, Robbie Lawler will fight Brian Barberina. That's going to be that's gonna be something. That is going to be something. I, I can't pick Robbie Lawler at this point. Uh, I mean, I have a lot of respect for Robbie Lawler's career. I have a lot of very fond memories of his fights. But he just broke a four-fight losing streak by beating a badly out-of-shape Nick Diaz. Um, I I think Brian Barberina probably is going to be able to get this one done. But that has just brawl written all over it. Should be a good fight. 
Welterweights, Ian Gary and Gabriel Green. Boy, the UFC is going out of their way to puff up Ian Gary. Uh, Gabriel Green has won his last two. He's 2-1 two and one in the UFC, but he's here to do the job. That's, that's kind of all there is to it. And I imagine Gary gets the win here. Then we have an insufferable post-fight promo. But kicking off the uh, the prelims here, this got made, this was supposed to be Jim Miller and Bobby Green. A really good fight. However, injury to Bobby Green. Um, they've been trying to make that for a while. About, you know, Bobby Green pulled out of this one. Saving the fight. In steps. Uh, at, this will now be at welterweight rather than lightweight. Donald Cerrone. These two guys fought eight years ago. Uh, Cerrone won in the second round. Nice head kick, actually, if I remember that fight correctly. They're in very different places now than they were then, though. And I actually think Jim Miller probably gets it done this time. But uh, that was a good fight the first time they had it. Should probably be a good fight this time. I just think Miller's got more in the tank, despite both of them being senior fighters. So I'm, I'm picking Miller here, but... Uh, if those two can capture a little bit of their former magic, we could be in for a, a bit of a treat there. So that's the regular prelims, the early prelims. Uh, Uriah Hall and Andre Muniz. Andre Muniz has been coming on lately. I mean, he broke Jacare's arm uh, with that guillotine from the back. He caught Eric Anders with basically that same arm bar. Uh, he's on a good winning streak, and... Uriah Hall still has, he's still a dangerous opponent, but he's coming off of that loss to Sean Strickland. This is a bit of a step up for Muniz, but I actually think he can pull this one off. I think Hall might wind up swallowed in the jiu-jitsu after a little bit. Uh, women's flyweight, Jessica I and Macy Barber. God, who cares? Pick Barber because I don't pick Jessica I to win fights, but yeah. Uh, middleweights. This is a better fight than being on this part of the prelims. But that goes to... Sh this should be there instead of Ian Gary and Gabriel Green, just for the record. Um, Brad Tavares and Drikas Duplessis. Tavares, kind of a tough veteran. He's been around for a while. Uh, won his last two fights. But I've kind of... I'm a fairly big believer in Drikas Duplessis. He's won his first couple of fights in the UFC. He's on a pretty decent winning streak. I, I like, and I think Tavares is a little bit on the downhill side of things. You know, I mean, Tavares isn't young. I think he's my age. He's younger than I am, but he's 34. So, it's not exactly young. I mean, middleweight's not quite, uh, you know, lightweight for being just brutal to guys aging, but he's not young. And he's been with the UFC since 2010. Good grief. A long career. Uh, I mean, he's, he's got some, uh, his name a little bit in the record books for the UFC. He's just been there long enough. But I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going with Duplessis here. I, I think, I think he's someone we're going to be talking about at middleweight. Then kicking everything off, Jessica Rose Clark will fight, uh, Yulia Stoliarenko. Uh, Stoliarenko is 0-3 in the UFC. Whereas Clark has been a bit up and down in the promotion. She's coming off of a loss to Stephanie Egger. I just got, uh, I'm going with Clark. And then Stoliarenko is, I don't know that she's uh, genuinely a UFC caliber fighter. 
just not sure about that one. But that's UFC 276. I will be covering that Saturday in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. So if you are interested, please do stop by and say hello. I always appreciate it. All right, I mentioned news is a little bit light. I didn't actually have anything here. I touched a little bit on the stuff already that I might have otherwise touched on. So let's check Twitter, see if anything MMA noteworthy has broken between now and uh, since, you know, when I started to now. And if not, we will get out of here. Nope, nothing new. So, plugs. Last week, my usual spate of coverage. Uh, that's professional wrestling three nights a week and uh, the MMA stuff on Saturday. As well as a, there was a Damn You Hollywood that was a double review of both the Chippendales Rescue Rangers movie that streams on Disney Plus and for Pixar's Lightyear, which released in theaters and really struggled to find an audience. So, myself, Mark Radulich, and Alexis Haina got together on Damn You Hollywood to discuss those two films. If you're interested, uh, you can type Damn You Hollywood into whatever your podcast platform of choice happens to be, and you can find that podcast there. This week, uh, I will be covering Monday Night Raw on Monday, as well as AEW's Dark Elevation, MLW stuff on Thursday, WWE SmackDown on Friday, so all of that in the Wrestling Zone of 411mania.com, UFC 276 on Saturday in the MMA Zone. As for podcasts, there's another double-shot review for Damn You Hollywood. We will be reviewing the Baz Luhrmann picture Elvis, as well as Ethan Hawke's latest uh, thriller horror vehicle, The Black Phone. So that will be Tuesday on Damn You Hollywood. If you are so inclined, please give it a listen. I think that was everything. Let me double-check real fast. Uh, I am not part of that. No, I am not. Yeah, that's it. So that's it for my podcasting and other stuff. You can find me on this week. Thank you. Thank you. As always, we will be back here next week to review UFC 276 and preview UFC on ESPN 39, headlined by Rafael Dos Anjos and Rafael Fiziev. Uh, how's that card looking? Thick. It's a lot of fights. It's a lot of fights. Oh. Uh, the main event is good. Said Nurmagomedov and Douglas Silva Dandraj is good. Yeah, that's kind of all that's really good. Um, I mean, Petrosian being back's not the worst thing in the world. Um, Said Yukov Kakramanov is back as well. And he definitely interests me, but that's a bit thin. I mean, it's a it's a lot of fights, but there's... Yeah. We'll do a full preview next week, but that does not inspire confidence as I look at it at the moment. All right. Thank you all again very, very much. I will see you next week. Until then, as always, continue to be... Uh, as always, sorry. Stay safe out there. Screwed up my own outro. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.